Um, we've been looking for some time at some of the, what people call the heroes of faith uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. And, uh, and we've seen that some of them are less heroic than others. They're people like us, really. People that are wondering, where am I going now? Like Abraham. People who are thinking, why am I building this big boat nowhere near the sea? People who are worrying about their child that may die, but they put him in a boat, which is a crazy thing to do, and God looks after him. There are people like you and I, and uh, people like Jephthah, who, who was a nobody from the wrong side of the tracks, rejected by his family, and yet God chose him and some of the other people there, people like Rahab, the prostitute, people like that with muddled up, mixed up lives, conflicted and in difficulty, he cho chooses them like he chooses us to be men and women of faith. And that's what God's been speaking to us again and again and again. I, I don't know what you're like, but I'm slow of hearing. So, uh, so it takes me a while to think of myself as a man of faith. I don't know if you would see yourself as a man or a woman of faith, but if you've trusted in Jesus, that's what you are. If that's the only bit you've done, you've trusted in him. You're a person of faith. You've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Congratulations. Best decision you ever made. You're a person of faith. But when we begin walking in faith, we're called to continue with steps of faith. And we've seen that in all sorts of people. And there's another unlikely one this morning. At the end of Hebrews, he says, I haven't got time to tell the end of Hebrews 11, I haven't got time to tell, and this one is about Samson. So I want us just to look at the story of Samson this morning. There's four main sort of chapters. We won't be able to do everything in his life. That would be a series in itself. It's in, uh, if you have time to read the stories, they're great stories. They're not just for children in Sunday school. In, in fact, some of his story is really not for children in Sunday school. But Judges chapter 13, all the way through to chapter 16, there's four chapters devoted to this man who actually ruled the people of God for 20 years. That's quite some time. We, we, so we just catch some highlights or maybe even some lowlights of his life. He, he's most famous, of course, for being a strong man, isn't he? Samson, Mr. Universe. That sort of uh, guy, you know, just generally killing people. He's sort of ra Rambo, Christian Rambo sort of figure. I mean, he's just a, he's a man of violence. He's a man who killed the enemies of God. He had gifts of strength when the Holy Spirit came on him that were astounding. Astounding. It's amazing that, you know, it says, uh, you know, one person filled with the Spirit of God is a majority and, and he proves that. Overwhelming odds. And he won through. That's, that's the sort of famous good side of, of him. But, you know, there's another side of Samson, which is he was utterly careless about his walk with God. I don't know if you're careful, your walk with God. I don't know if you would honestly say, hey, we're on speaking terms. Or, hey, we're a little bit distant. I don't know where we're all at this morning. But Samson was a man who was careless in his walk with God, and in one sense, he didn't really realize his potential. He, he's, he's a person who sort of learned faith the hard way. You know, some of us are like that, aren't we? Some of us learn quickly, some of us learn through our mistakes. I guess most of us learn through a bit of both. 
But Samson was a guy who seemed to have to learn things the hard way. So here's chapter one. Chapter one is that he had a supernatural start and a supernatural calling. In, in Judges chapter 13 and verses 3 to 5, we, we, hear, we read the story of how an angel of the Lord appeared to his mum. And uh, she'd been childless. And uh, the, the angel pointed that out and said, but now, now you're going to give birth to a son. See to it you don't give any drink, any wine, any fermented drink. You don't do anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So here's this supernatural start super a supernatural visitation an angel of god sent just to her no doubt she'd been going through the agonies that some of us go through when we, we went want a child and uh, and nothing happens and and she was blessed in this particular way that the angel came to her and that period was coming to an end and the child to be born was to be a nazirite that's a particular thing you read of in the old testament Literally, it means something like a consecrated one, a special one set apart for the purposes of God. And, and this child's going to be the one that begins uh, releasing the people of God from the Philistine oppression. The Philistines were not lovers of God. They worshipped idols, and, and they were oppressing the people of God. And he was going to be the one that would begin to set them free. And he'd be devoted to God. And the way he'd express that devotion to God was he would take no alcohol, no red wine on a Friday night, no nice little beer with a meal, none of that. He would have no haircuts. He'd grow his hair long. And he wasn't supposed to get anywhere near um, dead bodies of any kind. We, I mean, that's easy for us, but if you're in other, other nations of the world and other times, Death was just a part of life. It's just, you know, someone dies, they're there. So, so that, was, that was the way he expressed his devotion to God. And he was to do that for all of his life, a bit like John the Baptist later. It was a way of expressing devotion to God. Often it was for a period. People would take a vow for a period of time. A bit like people would have a period of fasting. So people would take a Nazareth vow, I'm not going to cut my hair. Usually they would shave their head first. So I'm not going to cut my hair for the next six months. I'm not going to touch alcohol. I'm not going to go near anything that's dead because I'm taking this vow and I'm giving myself to God. Usually it was for a period, but for him, it was a life calling. So he had a supernatural start and a supernatural calling. And it's very easy to think, well, he's a bit different to us then. But, you know, you, if you're a believer, you've had a supernatural start. You have a supernatural calling. God has a plan for all of our lives. The Bible says when we were born, before we were born, God knew all the days of our lives. That's extraordinary, isn't it? The knowledge and prescience of God that he sees the future. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Has, God has a plan for our lives. And all Christians have been born again supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. You, you did, if you're a believer, you did not get clever and discover God. It might have felt like that somehow. You stumbled. Upon, no, no, it wasn't that. God revealed himself to you. 
You did not get clever and think, I need to do something about the bad side of me, all the muck and the bullets, the, what the Bible calls sin, the, the, the things I do and say and think that aren't right. No, it wasn't that you wised up. God showed you that. God worked in you by the Holy Spirit to give you new life, to respond to him. You're a believer. You've been born again. Born again Christian is not a sort of make of Christian. You know, you get Ford cars, you get VW cars. There's all sorts of Christians. And born again are sort of one brand. No, born again is what a Christian is. Born again is when the Spirit of God gives you life and faith in Jesus Christ. You've had a supernatural start. You're a wonderful work of God's grace. You might feel utter rubbish, but you're a wonderful work of God's grace that feels utter rubbish. Okay? <laughs> Leave it. Do you see what I'm saying? You might think, I'm very ordinary. No, you're very extraordinary. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian. God has worked a miracle in your life. Praise God. Praise God that he showed you your need of him. Praise God that he worked in you so you could respond to him and his goodness. Every Christian's got a supernatural start and a supernatural calling to live for God. Now, we, we don't all carry city gates to the top of a hill like Samson did. We don't all get the jawbone of an ass and kill a thousand people. In fact, only one person did that, and that's Samson. But we're all called to live for him. We're called to represent him at the school gate at the factory floor, in the hospital, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we're called to represent him at school, at college, wherever we happen to be. So we've got a supernatural start and a supernatural calling. But, but, but here's the thing that, that about Samson is, let's take care. Let's take care about our walking with God. I don't mean let's strive, I mean let's take care. All relationships need looking after, don't they? All relationships need a bit of care, a bit of investment of our, of our time. If you don't, those of us who, who are married, if you don't talk to each other for a while, things get a bit cranky, don't they? Is that, is that, I don't know how you'd call it. Things can get a bit difficult, and then you think, we, we just need a bit of time to talk about this. Hopefully not shout about this, but anyway, you know, whatever. We need a bit of time. We've got to sort this out. It takes time. It takes investment to have a good relationship, time, time to talk, time to listen. It's the same with God. And Samson was a guy, as we will see, who was careless about that. He had a supernatural calling. He clung on by his fingertips to his relationship with God. But, but really, he didn't get to where he could have got. The Bible tells us to take heed... If we think we're standing, just in case we slip up. Paul, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I beat my body. What did he mean? What he means is he had a troublesome body that would lead him into trouble, lead him into temptation, and so he had to be strict on himself, lest having preached to others, he make a mess of his own life. And, and Samson was a guy like that who struggled to do that. So that's a supernatural start and a supernatural calling. Then in chapter 14 of Judges, we, we see what I'll call early weaknesses. He's grown up now. He's got this call on his life, and, and he visits a place called Timnah, Judges 14, 1 and 2. Samson went down to Timnah, saw a young Philistine woman. 
When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. It's all very romantic. <laughs> so he's in Timnah. That's a Philistine place. I don't know what he was doing there, whether he should have... Maybe he was planning attack there. I don't know. Maybe he was going to Tesco's. Maybe he was visiting a nightclub. I just don't know what he was doing there, whether he should have even been there. Sometimes our feet take us places that our heart shouldn't go. Ooh, went all quiet there, didn't it? That's a good line. It's not in the notes. Sometimes our feet take us places that our heart should not be. Don't go there. Listen to your heart. Listen to your conscience. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, he's there and he sees a Philistine girl. Often what we see, uh, John Bunyan wrote a book called uh, The Holy War and it was about your soul being like a city and how Satan tries to invade the city through eye gate and through ear gate. It's a very vivid picture and he sees. He could have looked away. He had a neck, but, but he didn't. He, he really saw. He saw and he looked. We've done that one before, haven't we? Remember King David up on, he saw it and he, and he looked. He could have looked away, but he didn't. And he sees this young girl and he wants to marry her. So he asks his parents to negotiate the marriage. That's normal in many parts of the world. I know in England we do it the sort of Hollywood way. It's not a great success, but that's the way we do it. In other countries, you see someone, you pray about it, you speak to your pastor, you speak to the parents. And he asks his parents to negotiate this marriage. That's okay. And they say to him, son, is there not an acceptable women, woman amongst your people? They weren't being racist. What they were saying was, marry within the faith, son. Marry someone of the same faith. They, they weren't saying, we don't like people of a different nation. Let's just get that sorted out. That's fine. They weren't saying that. They, he, what they were saying was, this is a Philistine. These people worship idols. This is, this is not going to go well, son. Please, please, marry within the faith. And, and Samson just, he just ignores them. So his parents are shocked. They're, they're upset because God asks his people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to marry within the faith. Now, I know there'll be some of us here maybe who haven't done that, and we have to, we, we have to li live with that, and God gives us grace and helps us. But, but you know, the, the norm, the biblical norm is marry someone with the same faith. That's the biblical norm. Be, be yoked together equally. That's, that's the biblical norm. So if you're single this morning and would like to be married, it doesn't always happen. You can pray and then you trust God. But, but if, it, if it seems like it's going to happen, make sure you're of the same faith. Now, if you're going to go up the mountain with God, gentlemen, you, you need a lady that can stand heights. You hear what I'm saying? Good. Because it's a big heartache if you can't share together the, the greatest joy and hope you have with your partner. And, and, and please, if, you're, if that's not your situation, I'm not criticizing you because you're in the situation you're in and you live for God there. That's okay. But Samson is utterly determined. Get her for me. I don't think I'd have enjoyed being his mum or dad. But that's how he was, get her for me. See, determination is a good thing in the right place. Yeah, Be, being determined is fine if you're determined and, and have an ambition which is godly and, and you're open to counsel, open to adjustment by God and his people. That's a great thing to be determined. 
I don't know a single church leader who isn't as stubborn as anything. I, I, in a, hopefully in a good way. But if you're stubborn in a way that won't listen to others, that's a bad thing. That's not a, it's not a good thing. Some people make a virtue of, what, of something that could be a virtue, but is actually a weakness. So it's fine to be, have a strong personality, to know what you want and go for it. That's fine as long as you can listen to others and particularly listen to God. If you're strong and determined and won't listen to Scripture, won't listen to others, won't listen to the Holy Spirit, that is a big weakness. And so it proved for Samson. But here's the thing, and Gordon prophesied it. He hasn't even looked at my notes. He prophesied it earlier, that, that even in the rebellion and the mess, God is still Lord. can't remember the expression. Something like uh, Jesus is still Lord even when he's not being Lord of your life. Something like that. It's a great sentence. So Samson was not at this point under the lordship of God, but God was still Lord because he is. He always will be. Forever and ever. So, so here's the thing. Even in his bad decisions, God is in control. God is, God is still sovereign. But his rebellion is still costly. That's a strange thing, isn't it? Because God didn't want him to be rebellious. And yet in the sovereignty of God, he even used his rebellion for good. The rebellion was bad. But God uses even the bad bits of our lives somehow to work out for good. If you can explain that to me, then you're God already. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery. How can God use something which is such a bad decision? And it's, it says in the passage, God was looking for an opportunity to have some aggro with the Philistines. Something like that. You can read it yourself in those chapters. So, so God used a man's utter rebellion somehow, even though it was wrong, even though it was going to be very, very personally costly, God turned it around and used it for his purposes. That's the magnificence of God, isn't it? That God, even when we mess up, hello baby, it's nice, come to see me. Even when we mess up, God can use it for good. That's a, that's a huge mystery. It doesn't justify our bad decisions. Uh, wrong is wrong. It doesn't justify our bad decisions, but it's wonderful to know that even in the bad decisions we've made in the past or we've made recently, God can turn it for good. And that's how it was for Samson. It says in Judges 14 verse 4, the Lord was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. Even in his bad decisions, God was in control and using Samson's rebellions for his purpose. But you know, his rebellion led to huge, huge trouble. There's a wedding feast, and we haven't got time to do the whole story, but Samson gets humiliated by his fiancée. She's threatened. She and her parents are threatened. She finds the secret to a riddle, gives it to his enemies. He gets really cross and goes off and kills all the Philistines. And, uh, and then because of that, because he's taking revenge, they give his fiancé to some other bloke. Then he comes and discovers that, gets really cross, and does a big arson attack, ties a load of foxes together, sets light to their tails. Sorry about that, no animal cruelty. Anyway, he does that, and all the, all the crops go up in flames. And then because of that, they kill his, his wife that wasn't his wife and her parents. They burn them. And, and so then he goes off and kills another thousand more people. I mean, it really isn't Sunday school stuff. 
It's terrible. There's repercussions and slaughter and revenge and a cycle, just this cycle of, of violence. It's terrible. And yet God is working his purposes out. But you know, it's, our rebellions seem small at the beginning, don't they? They might even seem good at the beginning. She's lovely. I want to marry her. Our rebellions look small at the beginning, but sin always takes you further than you want to go. And it took Samson down this road of, of destruction and heartache and bereavement and pain. That was just a terrible thing. Anyway, that's the end of that chapter. Very cheerful, isn't it? And then, and then, and then chapter 3 is this, is 20 years later. He's the leader of Israel. They, they remain repressed and under the boot of the Philistines all this time. But he's leading them best he can. And then he has what I'll call a midlife, because it's 20 years later, he's an adult. I'll call it his midlife crisis. That's a real thing, isn't it? So I don't know if it was or if it wasn't. Anyway, he, and it's the same weakness. It's the same similar weakness. 20 years later in chapter 16, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat, went to visit... No, that's the wrong verse. Chapter 16, verse 1. Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute's eye gate again. What he sees, he just goes for. No self-control. He saw a prostitute. He went in and spent the night with her. Samson's lust was the cause of his downfall. Here's a good question. If Satan was to cause your downfall, what would he use? Oh, that's a good question. I hear you say. If Satan wanted to cause your downfall, what would he use? What? Is, he, is, he, is he Lord of all of our lives? Or is he Lord of most of our lives, but don't touch my finances? Maybe he'd use that. Or is he Lord of most of our lives, but don't touch what I read? Or is he Lord of most of our lives, but don't touch what I watch late night on the television? Or is he Lord of most of our lives, but don't touch my anger problem? Or is he Lord of most of my life, but don't touch my anxiety difficulties? We all have our weaknesses. Let's be honest, we all have our weaknesses. And Samson, for Samson, it was his lust. So he goes with this prostitute. <coughs> Leaders attempted just like anybody else. Leaders are still people. So I don't know why we're shocked, but, but we often are shocked when prominent Christian leaders fall into sin. Sometimes it's just because they don't have enough friends. They don't have enough people to say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. A, a good friend is great. The Bible says in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you, have you got a good friend? Have you got, got someone that will tell you when you're being stupid? If, if we haven't, then let's, let's make more friends. We all need people that will, that when we're walking towards the hole in the ground, when we're walking towards a trap, they'll give us a good shove out the way and say, hey, stop it. You're being foolish. And then in chapter four, he meets Delilah. It's all very Tom Jones. Whoa, 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 Delilah. Delilah means something like darling. Ah, oh, he got it bad for Delilah. He falls in love. Now, now, those of us from the Western world, we, we brought up in this Hollywoodish thing that if you fall in love, it must be right. It's true, isn't it? That's what, that's what all the films 
that's what all the f films teach us. Fortunately, we've, we're supposed to be taught more by this than by Hollywood. You know, it's entirely possible and quite easy to fall in love with the wrong person. An inappropriate person. See, see, love, biblically, love is not self-justifying. Just because you feel you love something doesn't mean it's automatically the right object of love. Do you see that? That's what traps him. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart. That's why the scripture says, hey, daughters of Jerusalem, don't give yourself too easily. Be careful. Keep your integrity. Be careful. And anyway, he's not careful. He falls in love with an inappropriate person. And after a lot of nagging, he tells her the secret of his strength, which is his, his hair, as you know, if you know the story, if you read the chapters in Judges. His hair was a symbol, a sign of his special relationship with God. Now, he'd not kept much of his vow. He'd really not kept much. He certainly hadn't done the thing about avoiding death, that's for certain. He clung by, by the skin of his fingertips to his relationship with God. But now he surrenders even that. This, this sign of devotion. Uh, and Delilah is bribed to betray him and his hair's cut and his strength goes. And you know, it's a very scary verse. It says that, that, that his strength departed, the spirit of God left him and he didn't know. That's a terrible thing. To, to lose the influence of God in his life. See, there's some things to note here, and one of them is this, compromise works very slowly. Just a little, a little compromise. Uh, but gradually, Samson's sliding, sliding, sliding. Uh, and it's, it's very easy to do that, to just so slowly slide away that then we find we can't somehow get back easily to where we once were. It's impossible to live in backsliding and blessing at the same time. Just can't do it. And, and, and so not only does compromise work slowly, compromise is really dangerous. Don't lose touch with God. If you're not really on speaking terms with the Lord of your life at the moment, then tell him today. Say, Lord, I'm so sorry. We've not been on speaking terms. I'm sorry. Help me back to where I was. Help, help me back. I want to be close to you again. Warm my heart. If you feel, well, I haven't even got much appetite for God, well, tell him about your loss of appetite. Say, God, I, I, I used to be hungry for you. Now I'm not. Will you work something in me? T tell him the truth. Let's face it. He knows the truth about you. What, what are we trying to hide from him anyway? He knows the truth. Let's talk to him about it. Let's say, God, I'm a million miles away from you. Help me back to where I should be. Be Lord of my life. Be Lord of this weak area or that weak area. Lord, I've messed up with that. Oh, Delilah, I need to talk to you about Delilah. Whatever. Let's get back close to him again. Compromise is so dangerous. Judges 16 verse 20. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. I suppose, I don't know. I don't know if they had... I don't know what they did in terms of worship then, but I, I suppose he was still going along. I don't know. It, but he was going through the motions. He was still a good Jewish boy, except for Delilah. 
and the prostitute and a few other things that he kept tucked away. But he was still, he was still going through the motions. It's easy to go through the motions, but not know, hey, I've lost that closeness with the Lord. Bring me back close to you, Lord. It's a good prayer to pray. So he ends up, as a result of this, they blind him, they bind him. He, he ends up weak and sad and pathetic. And you know, it was all because of bad decisions. Just, if you've got big decisions, here's, here's a good principle. Look at the Bible and talk to some mates. Just a couple of sensible things. Big decisions. Don't make them on, don't make them on your own. Involve a few other people. Make good decisions because it all went wrong. So that's chapter three, his midlife crisis. And, and then comes really the last chapter, which is the end. Uh, Judges 16 and verse 28 is his famous prayer. He was brought out, there was a great big feast and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And Samson was, because uh, he was blind, he put his hands on the pillars and he prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me? Poignant, isn't it? Of course God remembered him. But it was also a plea. Remember me, Lord. Answer my prayer. Of course you remember me, but remember me now. Do something. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. His hair had begun to grow. That's the story. And God heard his prayer. And God gave him strength. Isn't it great that we don't worship a God who says, well, you made your bed, you've got to lie in it. I mean, some of us would be a bit like that, wouldn't we? But no, it doesn't. It doesn't say, well, you've got yourself there, mate. You've got to live with it. Yeah, you, what you reap, you sow, which is true, and he was. No, not what you reap, you sow. What you sow, you reap. That's right. But he didn't do that. Now, God hears the cry of the person that has totally messed it up. Isn't that comforting for some of us? It's comforting for me, I can tell you. God hears the cry of the guy that certainly didn't deserve to hear his cry heard. Because it's grace. Samson came to a throne of grace. When you pray, you don't come to, uh, come to pray and say, God, hear my prayer because I deserve it. No, it's entirely grace. His undeserved love and goodness poured out to sinners. And, and God heard his prayer and gave him strength one last time. And he said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pulled the pillars down. And uh, the ruling elite of the Philistines were killed. He'd neglected his faith. He'd mistreated his Lord. But God still comes through for him restores his strength and achieves his purposes. So what? Nearly out of time. What can we learn from this? Well, tons of stuff, really. I love, I love the Bible, by the way. It's down, down to earth, isn't it? It's not, it's not stained glass saints here in, in a church all look all holy with a ready bread glow. These are, real, these, are real, these are real people, like you and me. People who've got great strengths, great frailties. People who on a high can do great things for God, on a low think, oh man, I've blown it completely. Just like you and me. So here's a few so what's. Firstly, let's, let's know our weaknesses. Know, know your weaknesses. That, that question, if Satan wanted to bring you down, what would he use? Well, of course, he's, you know, he might surprise, surprise you. 
But we all have weaknesses. You've got a weakness for the opposite sex. Well, acknowledge it. Have a friend and say, can you all keep asking me about this because it's a weakness. If you've got a weakness for the wrong channels on telly, get your wife if you have one or a friend if you don't have one, because it's usually blokes, to put, put a lock on that channel. And put in a code number, 666. Not that I'm into Revelation that much, but you know. Do you see what I'm saying? Be, be honest. If, you're, if your weakness is, you know, Jesus needs to be Lord of your life, which means he's Lord of husband and wife and fork and knife. And if I could find a rhyme, it would be a checkbook as well. And other bits of your life, your anxieties, your thoughts. Let him be Lord of your life, all of it. I mean, he is Lord, Gordon's prophecy, he is Lord, but let him be Lord of your life. Know your weaknesses. Here's another one. Don't be a loner. You know, it's completely absent from the life story of Samson. He's always on his own. Even though he's the ruler of a nation and should have had a team of people around him, always on his own. No support, no accountability. Let me ask another question, it's a good one. Who can ask you anything? That's, a good, that's another good question. See, often we think of accountability as, oh, I'm going to be in trouble, someone telling me off. How about this one? Find someone that can ask you anything and, and, and invite them to. It have to be a heavy thing. It's just friendship, isn't it, really? Don't be a loner. Here's the third one. There are no tame sins. We, you know, we fool ourselves sometimes, don't we? It's just a, it's just a little one. This is, this is just a hamster sin, this one. This, is not, this, is, this one is not a lion. And then, and then a few years later, you find him roaring and biting your head off. Some hamster. Now, there are no tame sins. It's a mistake to allow sin to stay in our lives because it not only damages us, but as you see in the life of Samson, damaged so many people around him. Because no man is an island, as the poet said. Now, our sins affect those we live with, the, in, the in-laws, the outlaws. Everybody's affected around him. So let's root it out. Let's change our minds, which is what the word repent means. Let's change our minds about bad behavior. Let's run from temptation. Let's ask others for help and counsel. Here's another one. When we look on at other people and think, well, they're a bit of a Samson. Let's not give up on people. Let's, you remember that Peter wanted to do that, didn't he? Lord, how many times do I have to forgive them? Well, how many times do you think, Peter? Well, well maybe seven. That's generous. No, no, no. Seven times seven, or some translations, 70 times seven. 490. What he was saying was, just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Let's be a church of second chances. Have I got my maths right? Oh, good. Just checking. That's not a great strength. Don't give up on people. Many of us make bad mistakes. We just do. We're frail. We make not good decisions sometimes. Sometimes we might even have left God for a bit or left his people. You know, even at the end of your life, you can find God again. So if you're, if you're far away from him this morning, why, why don't we just pray now? Why, why don't we just say, God, you know where we are. Let's do that. Let's just bow our heads. I, I don't know what anyone's favorite sin is here. God knows.
Let's just be open before him. Holy Father, we thank you that every one of your children here has been given a supernatural start, that you are at work in our lives. Thank you that you've given us a supernatural calling to live for you wherever we are, to represent you and your kingdom. But we want to be honest before you, Lord. Some of us aren't doing so well. If you're someone who just feels so far away from God, you feel you've messed it all up, just, just you don't have to do anything for me, but just in the quietness of your heart, just tell him how it is. Something about being honest with God that he loves. He rushes towards you on the sir of sorry with his grace and his arms out wide. Father, some of us have not been walking with you so well. We want to change our mind about our behavior. We want to be honest and say, Father, bring us back to you. Bring us back close to you. Some of us have been neglecting our walk with you, not really being on speaking terms. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us from our sins. Draw us back close to you again. Lord, some of us have got weaknesses that you know. Help us to find someone to be honest with. Someone to cheer us on. Someone to put an arm around us. Someone even to wound us, but out of faithfulness and love. Pray that we would live fully for you. We know you're Lord of all, but be Lord of our lives, we pray. Thank you, God, that you're a God who comes to those who've been faithless, yet you remain faithful. Thank you that you hear the desperate cry of the backslider. Thank you that you strengthen the weak, make them strong to live for you again. Thank you that you're in the business of restoring lives. We ask you that we would truly be the men and women of faith that you call us to be. Despite all our faults and failings, we want to be used by you to extend your kingdom. So be in our lives, Lord. Be in our finances. Be in our relationships. Be in our thinking. Be in our listening. Be in our watching this week. In Jesus' name. And for your glory we pray.